0: watching a ski movie before you're about to go skiing is the greatest thing sometimes like you know you you, you know you, you just get so excited you see it all lot and you get on the mountain you're like oh it's a massive anti-climax because it's not this perfect powder day. And you know, you can't look up all these big cliffs and it's just, you know, because like, they spend like months and months prepping for all of that. But still to get you in that mood, watching decent ski movies. And, and I could go on about like what music we're like, but ski movies, my goodness. Like that's the that's whole lot.
1: things I find fascinating are the characteristics behind many different brands. Some of them are outgoing and energetic, some of them are a little bit more laid back. So in this podcast, we look to explore all the different characteristics, not only the brand itself, its roots, its origins, but the people behind the brand. And is there a bit of a relationship between the characters of the people and the characters of the brand? Well, good afternoon, good morning, and welcome wherever you are, and welcome to this episode of Legends of the Brand. And today, I'm super, super, super stoked to have with us Pat Sharples from, well, I guess Team GB. I mean, you're, you're the head, you're the head coach, you're the top top guy. So, welcome aboard. Thank you very much for coming coming with us today.
0: Thank you so much, Bill. Like I'm a huge fan of this podcast. Like a lot of people, I massively respect. Uh, and I look up to, and have been a huge part of my journey uh, within snow sports. Have been on this podcast, so when uh, I got invited, I, w- I was generally so excited to be on it.
1: Oh, brilliant! Well, thank you so much. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely excited because, uh, you know, uh, obviously our paths have crossed over the years, and it's just a great opportunity to, to, to chat to you uh, as an individual, but not only that, but to kind of. going to share your story a little bit as well and we were saying beforehand uh, a little bit before we hit the record button that uh, obviously it's been an interesting year and we'll kind of dive into those things but ultimately you know um sharing all these different things and uh it's it's legends of the brand is not only talk about the brands themselves but the 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 people behind the scenes and the people the people of the brands that kind of make certain things happen so it's an exciting journey for us both to go on today um so we'll, we'll kick it off in the sense that um for Actually, I was going to say for a lot of people who who are aware of you, um, but some people may not know your, your backstory. I was wondering if you might like give us a bit of a, a bit of a quick overview of where you're from and whereabouts you physically are right now.
0: Okay, Phil. So yeah, I'm from I'm actually from Bradford in the UK. Um, I started uh, getting involved into skiing. It was my mum and dad who got me into it. They got me a ski holiday a Christmas present when I was seven years old to my hoffen, and quickly fell in love with it after a week skiing along with my dad. And we were at our local dry ski slope, uh, Rosendale, which is now called The Hill. Um, spent, I think, every Saturday and Sunday there, or even every day I could get my dad to take me off to school to play around. And and that became my absolute whole world. Um, that's how everything started. And soon as I was pretty much uh, old enough, uh, by law to to leave the UK. I was straight out to the mountains in Korshebaugh looking looking for work um, to to be, well, I guess was what perceived as a ski bum back then. And, um, you know, uh, I was, I actually feel I was one of those real true ski bums, you know, nowhere to live, no money, no food. You had to lag your way through everything to find a few pennies, grab yourself a lift pass and uh, very, very fortunate. Uh, work started. Got I got taken by a company called Ski Olympic, who were based in Courchevel in 1650, and I was started working there, and washing you know the dishes after dinner, uh, making beds. I was a bit, yeah, a bit of a shally boy. Got promoted quite quickly to the ski technician, and that's when I started basically playing around in the in the back country and the moguls and and learning my craft as an all round skier, and it sort of just took off from there really
1: oh it's amazing i was going to say for um uh, you know for people who want to to know a bit more about your your uh, story in a bit of greater depth there's a fantastic podcast the ski podcast which uh, you had a, a fantastic hour uh, speaking with uh, ian martin i believe and you guys go into you know uh, that wonderful journey about how you obviously uh, went out and i think there's some times uh uh, sleeping in a few of the lift offices and that sort of thing. But there's a really great journey there. So if you want to go and find out a bit more about your, your journey, I mean, you know your story already, but for somebody who wants to learn a bit more, there's a great podcast about that. Um, but uh, if we kind of, you know, take a step to the side here, unpack a few things before we get into that aspect. Um, you did mention that uh, Rosendale, which is a, a dry ski slope, uh, is not too far from where you live. Uh, and obviously there are some fantastic, uh, you know, skiing on a dry slope at the first at the best of times is difficult but doing tricks on it can you walk us through (laughs) can you walk us through you know going and doing a trick on on a dry slope first of all you know it's
0: uh times changed from when i first started skiing nobody did freestyle to what they do or what is perceived as freestyle now with the free skiing movement. There was no twin tips. You know, freestyle was hot-dogging almost. I think I coming, I came into the bottom back end of the hot-dogging sort of maneuver where a freestyler would do ballet on skis. Mm-hmm. They would do the moguls, which they called, yeah, the hot-dogging, there was aerials, but it was so niche in the UK. Not many British people did that, and certainly not on dry slopes. However, at Rosendale, when I used to go and ski and a lot of it was like more alpine you know I'd do the gates and we'd do dual slaloms, and you know I'd hang out with my mates uh, it was all about the racing however there was a lot of people in there who would always grab me and say right we're going to teach you ballet on skis so lots of different tricks with the long poles tip rolls and everything else and and I loved it you know it was so exciting it was just having fun on your skis and It's something even today that I always try and push for all our kids. If you're having fun, you're gonna progress. And I really believed that whole part of playing around all the different parts of skiing made me fall in love with it to the way that I still am right to this day. The jumps back then on Dendex were uh, obviously not like the jumps that you are now, you know, flat landings. If you landed on Dendex and your fingers went first, you know, I think, what do we call it? The Dendex fingers or Dendex thumbs, where you, it was so easy for your fingers to go in those holes and snap. But obviously now it's, it's Snowflex, or oh, there's the pro snow and, you know, these different mattings that are so much better for, and more forgiving for freestylers. However, you know, like, you know, you're skiing around, it's sometimes like falling on sandpaper, but it changed our sport definitely. And that's helped the sport progress massively. And certainly when free skiing came along in the uh, late nineties, and there was these snowflake slopes, like Sheffield Ski Village, using that as an example, they had their half pipe, the quarter pipes, they had like these big airs, they, they had mogul runs all made of like snow flex. Uh, and, you know, you look at some of these centers that build that and that's where some of our best talent mm. came from and the progression in those centers from those scenes was just absolutely huge. So for, even for me, you know, now, you know, to see that progression has just been absolutely huge.
1: Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Do you think that, um, that uh, you know, skiing on some of these artificial surfaces um, actually became an advantage for uh, our athletes or, or the team?
0: I think that's a great question, Phil, and 100%. I do absolutely. I I truly believe a big part of our success is because of our grassroots. And, and when many- you say grass, you actually mean grass, grass, don't you? Right. Well, yeah. There's a lot of <laughs> grass is popping up from some of these centres, but you know, it's it's true. You know, the the way that I always try and describe it to to people who don't understand it or don't know our spot but are intrigued by it is that we you know myself and uh, a lot of like say my athletes now are people I skied with we didn't have their luxury of living in you know by a ski town or in a ski resort that you know you you can go to school you know after skiing you know after school you can go skiing or a part of your school you know, um, P.E. time was going skiing and snowboarding. We we never had that luxury. You know, we had to go and find it from our local dry slopes and things like that. Um, But I, I truly believe that sort of drives the passion even more so. It makes you hungry for it. Like, if you look about some of the best sports people, like take it for football, for example, some of the biggest, you know, most successful football stars in the world have come from a background where, They have not been given everything, you know, like on a silver spoon where it's all been there for them. It's all been perfect. It's been that easy journey. Of course, they've been born into that. They were going to do that. It's actually the opposite effect. You know, you have to get uber creative. You know, you have to sort of look at what you can make the best out of your opportunities that you've got. And I think that really, well, I do. I truly believe that helps drive that passion more so. And I believe within myself and many of the people I grew up with, and uh, many of our athletes, that's been a big part of the success because they've had to, you know, very little to work with. And when we do get to the mountains, and you are in this sort of magical world with, you know, all these different opportunities and everything you see in the movies and stuff, you take full advantage of it and you appreciate every moment of it.
1: Yeah, I can I can believe that it's you yeah, know the the hunger is 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 fueled by that. So, and, um, so when you do get to the mountains, when you get to the mountains, uh, what does your ideal day look like? It could be anything you want. You know, are you, you know, are you, do you still enjoy going to the bumps? Do you for powder? Talk us through the ideal day for, for you.
0: <laughs> oh, right. Well, that, that, that actually just stokes me up even talking, yeah, even thinking about it. I, I still have the same love for skiing now as I did when I was a kid. Um, I I truly do. Um, I think I'm in ski boots and skis more than I've ever been. However, I probably ski less than I've ever done because of my job. But my ideal day would be doing everything that you suggested. Skiing the bumps, whether it's icy bumps, powdery bumps, the backcountry. Of course you always want that, you know, dreamy powder day, you know. Uh, that champagne powder, and you know, you just float through everything, and oh, that that winter winter wonderland. But obviously, that's not how it is. Doesn't it matter. It's your
1: perfect day. You can do whatever you want on your it's perfect day. Perfect day, but
0: I, I have my perfect days. with when it's slushy, you know, and you, the whole mountain, just being able to do everything, being playful on my skis doesn't matter for me. If I'm there with a good crew of people, and we can just be playful having fun, that to me is the best. It's around the people that you're skiing with. Skiing and snowboarding with, that's the key bit. For me, all the conditions I can make the most out of it. Of course, I love the powder day. I love the bumps. Still like playing around, you know, in the park as well, even now I'm on the fourth floor. I'm talking about my age there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I certainly... Don't have that same confidence as I used to anymore, but I, I still get the same buzz out of it. And I think that's the one thing that I love about this sport. No matter how good you are, how bad you are, what age you are, you still get the same buzz out of it. It is a very unique sport. I I, I just I just love it so
1: much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I um it made me think about something there, which you uh, talk about, you know, your perfect day of skiing all over the mountain. Uh, I'm gonna take you back for take you back to to last time perhaps you're skiing um, when you do go skiing what do you think about or let me rephrase that is there song or music that's in your head when you go skiing along and what would that be i'll tell you i'll let me get i'll tell you what mine is so i sometimes ski through the, the through the bumps poorly probably compared to anything else but i sometimes think of like salt and pepper you know a push it you know what <laughs> i just think about that or if you get on a uh, on a on a run where it's kind of that you're floating or something like that you know I sometimes think of like the slinky song or some some sort of rhythm so but when you go out skiing what do you think about or do you you know you're probably at that stage where you don't but things go through your head anyway. I
0: love it I love it because you're right I think most people most skiers and snowboarders do have that music that they go to that helps them get in that zone Mm -hmm. and it, it, for me, it very much depends on how I'm feeling in that moment, that day, that week, and I and and, and sometimes months. Even now, I, I know what like my mindset's like and about the music that I want that's gonna get me, you know, like stoked up to ski on. And and it's a real different mixture. I tell you, like it's uh, <laughs> it, it's such a big mixture that it would sound so so weird but it's true you know i think i look back into my days when i was a professional skier before i sort of went past my sell-by date as almost to speak (laughs) uh i I was definitely really into my you know old school 90s you know hip-hop music and you know listening to biggie and Tupac and things like that and like even now i i still do you know on some days and then, you know, you get all excited about that music and it was sort of very current. And then the next day I could be listening to Phil Collins. <laughs> you know, like, I just never know. And it was just how it was at that time and what mood I was sort of in. But music was a big part for me of, you know, and it wasn't actually skiing with music in, but it was, no, it was, yeah, it, it yeah. was listening to music before I was getting ready to go skiing. That, I think that was it. And even more so, adding on that was ski movies. Watching a ski movie before you're about to go skiing is the greatest thing. Sometimes, like you know, you you, you know you you just get so excited. You see it all out, and you get on the mountain. You're like, oh. It's a massive anticlimax because it's not all this perfect powder day, and you know you can't look up all these big cliffs, and it's just you know like because they spend like months and months prepping for all of that. But still, to get you in that mood, watching decent ski movies, and, and I could go on about like what music we like, but ski movies, my goodness, like that's uh, the whole story. So,
1: uh, so do you do you uh, do you have a do you have a go-to movie or something? Okay, let us go. Which sort of genre are you like? A, are you like a, a matchstick, or are you a Warren Miller, or are you kind of? Wh- where are we looking at?
0: Hundred percent matchstick.
1: Okay, hundred
0: percent. Like those those movies changed my life. Like mm-hmm. and uh, the 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 ski like the the ski movement changed my life. So. When the twin tip, when Solomon first developed the first twin tip, the original 1080, that you know, beautiful famous ski. And I, I was even talking to my wife about this the other day and my kids, because uh, one of my athlete's parents actually managed to find an old pair of the original 1080s, which I didn't have. Uh, Kirsty Muir's mom, like uh, Kirsty Muir, one of the best uh, uh, free skiers in the UK at the moment. Her mom, Kim, managed to find these skis And she, you know, very, very kindly sent them for me. And I was like, and I told my kids and my wife said, if if it wasn't for this ski, (laughs) I wouldn't have probably met, you know, your mum, which means that YouTube wouldn't have been born. (laughs) <laughs> and, and it's sort of true because like that ski you know when Solomon first sponsored me and I started using those skis that that created my career you know like I became a professional free skier I was working with all the different magazines from the UK started working obviously with Solomon Um, I got other sponsors and it developed for me into doing what I'm doing with coaching which is you know, and now it got into the Olympics and now, you know, I'm an Olympic coach. So without that creation, I, you know, would not be doing what I was doing and I wouldn't have met my wife which was in a ski resort and everything else. So, you know, I know it sounds crazy, but it's sort of true. And it was those ski movies when they first came out that they were showing people That these guys in America and Canada about what they were canoeing and that's what inspired me so Matchstick absolutely 100% was a big part
1: of that oh I love that thank you so much for sharing that with us that's that those like little nuggets there and um have you uh have you ever had the chance I mean I mean there's so many things I was you know I've there's so many great questions here I could could ask but If we take a look at kind of that journey and then about uh, the 1080s and everything like that and kind of reflect it back to uh, you mentioned beforehand about doing ski ballet and that sort of thing. Um, Obviously, there's a connection between you and Salomon and ski ballet. And uh, one of the things you chatted about earlier on in in this process was some of the people who perhaps worked with you and influenced you in this entire uh, program and, and legends and who have been on the podcast as well. I was wondering if you could speak to perhaps one or two of those people that have kind of helped you on that journey.
0: Uh, again, there's there's so many on here. So first off, I'm going to apologise if I don't mention everybody because I feel like the British ski industry, the people that have been involved in it, uh, almost they're all like, you know, my, a part of my family. And all of them have had a play a, pl- a place to play that's helped me get to where I am. And I'm forever grateful of that. I, I truly am just the British ski and snowboard industry in general, I feel the luckiest person to be doing what I'm doing, and everybody had a part in helping me and supporting me in that. Um, but when I first got sponsored by uh, Solomon, it was a market manager uh, at the time called uh, Michael Vanson and he sort of believed in me. And that was a time the free ski movement was going on. And then that's when I ended up meeting Eric Davis, who was, you know, the godfather of Solomon UK, who really took me under his wing and. I I actually for me when I was growing older I wanted to be the next Eric I wanted to do his job we used to joke around all the time and he used to say you're going to take over from me one day and and that's how it's going to be and worked along with other sales managers like Davey Mercer the you know former Olympic downhiller Pete Waghorn who I know has been on here Um, and again they were all very supportive I, I learned to how to understand about the products? How to go and train people up about the different products into the stores and and help uh, people in the different stores help sell this and promote it to to their customers. Um, and uh, again, I think the within Solomon the the marketing team of people at that time there was people who came and gone, but there were so many incredible people who. It really helped set things up to my next step, like uh, Sonia Pryor, um, there was Rich Seymour, Rich Phillips, um, all exceptionally good marketing managers and pushing the brand of Solomon in that way. And they helped me do what I feel is probably the part that I'm the most um, proud of, which was creating the Solomon Grom camps, which was, you know, the, the free ski camps of, coaching kids or getting kids involved in a sport, And we've got to remember that this the Olympics wasn't a thing then. That was so far from it. We weren't even thinking that this ever would be. It wasn't a part of the the picture at all. It was just about, you know, coaching kids and getting them to enjoy free skiing that we all loved. And we, you know, created this team. Uh, Everybody was welcome. You know, again, it doesn't matter about how old they were, how young they were. Uh, how good they were! It It really grew a community, a free ski community, and uh, and all, all these people, and there's many, many more. They helped me build that. They saw that vision. They saw what I was doing. Um, another person I've got to sort of do is a uh, Pete Cable, who was our videographer and very creative, and he did. I started doing video blogs way before people did video blogs, promoting all this stuff, filming all these camps. Showing kids progressions and the sport started growing. You know, it just really did. Um, it was just a glorious time. It was. I'll never forget those days.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think you know we're saying not only here but also just just prior as well is that you know it it is a community and it's the interesting thing is that um, and we've said this beforehand on other episodes of, of the podcast and I think it's a, a, a well. Um, I, I, say, I think it's a well-known within our industry, but not necessarily known outside the industry. But it is, it's is—it's a community of people that work together and all kind of pulling in the same direction. Because uh, obviously, you know, we had some huge support through the through the Salomon family, which is great. But um, we were saying as well, it's sometimes the individuals in other brands, in other uh, areas, individuals in in retail outlets. It's all these different people that are pulling together uh, who have helped you. And who in turn have also helped some of your athletes, and who in turn have then helped build uh, the 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 team that we see today, or they have perhaps didn't build the team we have today, but they have definitely helped support uh, the foundations of the of this of this uh, of the industry that we have right now. And you know that it's uh, let's say it's a community it takes a what's a village a village to, to raise a child. It's almost like it takes a community to build an athlete. And um, yeah, so I was wondering if you uh, you know wanted to. Kind of uh, give, you know, obviously not to give a shadow, but I mean, uh, to speak to that, the fact that, you know, it's not just a brand, it's people.
0: Absolutely. It's not just brands, it is the people. And, uh, you know, I'm talking on my experience about the people supporting me. It wasn't just them, like it was all the brands, all the brands involved in um, uh, British skiing and snowboarding, all the different companies. And I could go on. Uh, from everybody. They were all supporting all these youngsters, you know, like from all different directions and that's what we're encouraging, you know, Um, and that's what made it so special. Now, what I look back, I I look at where we're at now and we've got a very, very successful elite um, GB snow sports team across more disciplines than ever before. It, It is fantastic. However, In the grassroots of things, it's maybe not as strong as it used to be. There's not many kids coming through as they would before. And uh, I'm always like, why is that? Obviously, we've got the pandemic and everything else and it's been complicated. The bit that I always look at, what made it so successful before was not a national governing body. It wasn't, you know, well, GB Snowsports wasn't there then, it wasn't at least, the Olympics, it was none of that. It was the people involved in the scene and the people at the different ski and snowboard centers around the UK and also at the time, especially within free skiing and freestyle snowboarding, it was all quite new and it was quite fresh. So there was, um, there was funding there for marketing You know, and people were marketing these brands and they were using up and coming athletes. They were putting on these events and that's what created it and made it incredibly successful. Now, as we know, that scene isn't as strong. The funds aren't there quite as much as they used to be. Well, they're just not. That's just a fact. And that's the reason why the pathways almost slowed down slightly. Um, I almost look at it now where, we've got athletes, so we're, we're doing quite well. And now it's our job to go and inspire the next generation and promote our sport and get more people coming back in and basically repay the brands for all the support that they did for us to help us get here. You know what I mean? It sort of works, we need to work in partnerships here to help um, because it was those different brands, those key players around there who really helped put everything on for us to get where we are. And it's just like anything, times change. Like skateboarding is a good example. You know, the popularity, it goes up and down, up and down. And it's never been anything to do with the Olympics. It was the first time it was in the Olympics in Tokyo. But skateboarding popularity is like, it's on an all time high now. Olympics does have a big effect. It absolutely does, but it's not the be all and end all, you know, but it's finding ways to keep and promoting it, keep pushing it, inspiring it and trying to sort of give a clear pathway for youngsters to get involved in it.
1: So do you foresee then, uh, it sounds like you're very hopeful in terms of, of uh, reigniting the fire, uh, but it's almost, it as whereas when perhaps you came through the system, uh, it, it, was, it was a ground swell from the bottom up, whereas now it feels like it's, it's, it's a hand from the top helping and bring people back, back through the system again. It's almost, it, you know, it's leveraging, leveraging your experiences and bringing it back in. And, 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 and I hate used to recycling, but bring that in. Is that how you'd foresee it?
0: I think you've explained that really well there, Phil. Yeah. Um, that groundswell, that like they helped bring that through. It was just the time of the spot, you know, like when say in the mid 1990s, you know, um, skiing, let's face it had gone a little bit stale and um, snowboarding come in, and it totally kicked skiing's ass, it really did, so anybody sort of like under 25 was going straight into snowboarding because it looked fun, it was cool, you know, it was fashionable, you know, the clothing they were wearing, the kit they were wearing, you know, the movies that they were putting out there were inspiring, you know, know, skiing like, wow, and You know, it was at that time that many of us, I was quite lucky because I was in that mix then and I was a skier. I wasn't changing to be a snowboarder, but I ski with the snowboarders, but I would get influenced by the snowboarders. And that's how free skiing really ignited because it did, it gave us such a big kick up the ass. And, you know, we were using the terrain parks that the snowboarders were using. And then obviously Solomon built a twin tip and, you know, look where we are now. It, It changed everything, but it was so big then. It was big. There was this huge, big change in the in the industry. Backcountry skiing. It went from extreme skiing to uh, to free ride skiing. You know, with a bigger, wider skis, you could ski faster. Or um, you know, different types of snow in the backcountry. The whole thing just the sport changed. And I really believe that that's what kept me in love or made me fall in love with the sport even more. Um, but there were because of this like people were getting hooked on it. So there was money in there, marketing was shoving all their money into it. So it was, it was like you said, that bottom swell that lifted it up and we rode that wave up to where we're at. It's different again now, Mm -hmm. you know, like that sort of wave's gone and lower down the the marketing funds aren't there quite as much. People still love the spot. It has got more niche. Free skiing has got more niche, you know, the, you know, you can't just go into your sort of local park now and learn all these tricks and get to be, you know, Olympic level. You've got to be on proper performance camps with all these world-class features. It's changed. It really has. However, you know, that doesn't stop us wanting to really sort of inspire people to get involved in this sport and use their grassroots facilities like we did because that was the best times, hands down. That was the most exciting, fun times. I still look at that whole journey and I'm just about to go into my third Olympic cycle as an Olympic coach. And I feel like the most you know, honored person in the sport that I love more than anything, but I still look back and those days at Rosendale ski slope and the, you know, the indoor snow centers and seeing all this progression of kids, they're still my favorite times.
1: Oh, that's, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> I could just, I, I, I love listening to the enthusiasm that, that you share for it all. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm wondering whether from, from your perspective, obviously in, and your position, you know, uh, do you, do you foresee uh, an opportunity within uh, the um, organization? I think I can use that term very loosely. Let me say uh, that to encourage your, your athletes to, to give back. Do you, foresee that as being um part of um their 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 program their off-season program is that something you you do incorporate or and if you don't would it be something you would foresee incorporating almost Uh, i hate to use community service but it's it's a a giving back uh
0: 100 absolutely but i feel um all our athletes um do that without having to push them to do it i i feel that they, that's something they're as equally as passionate about as me. You know, uh, uh, the majority of our athletes, especially our homegrown, home-and-bred that have come from their local dry slopes, indoor centres, when they get back from, you know, a three, four, five-week, whatever, stint away travelling around World Cups training, the first thing they'll do that week will be back at their local dry ski slope, or indoor snow centre. And, you know the main reason because they love it. It's like going back to their sort of home slope, but they see all the next kids, the kids look up to them. You know, it's just what we're used to. And, you know, I was at uh, Castleford Snowdome yesterday. I was skiing with one of my athletes, Tyler Harding, who I've been coaching since he was nine years old. He's just coming back from an an ankle injury. And, you know, he's going back out to Europe next week, hopefully. But we went back to uh, Castleford two days before that. I was at the Chill Factory, next week I'm planning on going to Halifax dry ski slope. You know, we're still doing this, and we're like, what, seven, eight weeks away from the Olympics? We're all doing it, it's still there, it's still where we've come from. None of us forgot that, and I feel like everybody wants to give back, not because they feel that they have to, because they generally really want to.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Legends of the Brand. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Listen, drop us an email at info at brand.com. That's info at brand.com if you'd like to reach out and get in touch. And make sure to check out the show notes also at all the W's at brand.com. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye.